0: Well, we're glad to have our Northerners with us this morning, Mike and Janie, and glad you're here. And we have Brother Frank back here joining us. We have one Frank that's in recovering from surgery, and another Frank that's visiting with us again. He's been here before, and uh, glad to have you here, Frank. Yep, yeah, that fall, that was a hmm, that was something. I'd never done that before. I've always been able to. You know, get down real quick, or grab a hold of something. And yesterday, I couldn't make it in time, and bango, there she was. Next thing I knew, I'm up like this, you know. And first thought you have is, what am I doing here? But it all came to me really quick. I knew, I knew what it was going on. So we're making it, and it'll just take some time to heal up. Now my knee. Here's the odd thing. I've been limping around, you know, on my leg. I hurt my knee, you know. It's been doing that for two or three, well, about three weeks, I guess. Finally, believe it or not, I woke up Saturday morning, and I was walking around, and I said, I can walk totally normal today. And then that day, I'd start a new episode here, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, it was my own fault. Like I said, I, I didn't eat any breakfast, and I took my medication without any food, and I should have known better than that. Says right on the bottle, take with food. So, <laughs> a good pharmacist will tell you that, right? Right, Mike? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why he's back there going, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> people, people. <clears throat> well, anyway, so anyway, we've had a good week. A lot of, see, Krista had her birthday Friday. Friday, but we celebrated on Thursday, so we had a little celebration in our home this week, too. And I did eat a red velvet cupcake, which I normally don't do that, but I did it. Okay. We want to, uh, well, turn to Romans chapter 1 today. Yes? A What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We wanted to have a little. I just got through time <laughs> for the Harris. So we wanted to have a meeting. We need to have a little men's meeting on Wednesday. Hopefully, it wouldn't take too long. But it's basically to discuss uh, the the website. Uh, by the way, that is where they went to check me out as they checked our website. So, but we it needs to be upgraded. Um, it's been free all this time up until and I think they're phasing it out is that what it is Jeff tell, tell us about it a little bit maybe Wh- why we have to do this it's just the, the service that we've been using well, like, there, the June, so. at the end of June so we don't have much time yeah so we got to do something about it we have to change, we don't, have a don't have a choice and I don't know of much out there that's free that looks well, very reasonable but Jeff and Mike's son, Michael, they've done some research on it and checked things out, and they've come up with a program that looks pretty good. But anyway, we need to discuss that on, on Wednesday evening and kind of get some direction on that, what we want to do. And Jeff said he could be here for that, so if we could meet at 530, that'd be that'd be really good. Men's meeting on Wednesday at 530, okay? And we'll get that taken care of. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Is there anything else I need to do? Somehow I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I don't think of it right now. Oh, I do know. I do know. We need to have a fellowship dinner. That's what it is. When are we going to do that? (laughs) Tomorrow. (laughs) In other words, you're ready, huh? You're ready. Well, Well, I was thinking either Mother's Day or Memorial Day, how far ahead you want to do it. It's probably a lot of families getting together, I would guess, Mother's Day. Joy was all happy. Her mother's right here. You didn't worry about it, huh? So so let's shoot for the Sunday after Mother's Day. That sounds good? Okay. I'm good with that. I'm with, I'm with Jack. Now, believe me, we could do this. We could work something up this afternoon. I'd be all for it. Okay, so it will be the Sunday after Mother's Day. So that's just three weeks away then. Okay. Man, hurry up and get here. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, Romans chapter 1. Uh, I know where I'm at. And I know where I'm going to be going, I just don't know where I want to stop. So that could be a dangerous thing. <laughs> uh, and the fact that I'm standing up and feeling pretty good right now, that could be a dangerous thing. So I don't know, but we'll just get started. And then I then probably it's going to be one of those days when, when we get near time, we'll just quit. In the book of Romans, of course, this is 1st. Uh, in order of the epistles in the whole New Testament, and following upon the book of Acts and Paul here writing to the Church at Rome and there are some really key verses in in this uh, book that we rely on and and really give us some direction uh, and I, I want to look at some of those, and I want to take us somewhere here, but so we're just starting in chapter one here basically but one one of the things when Paul's beginning his letter here. He's talking about the origins of the gospel, and that he was separated under the gospel of God, and and it's related in in its direction here with um, Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of David, and so on. And he says down here in verse 5, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for... Obedience to the faith. But really, literally there, it's saying it's for the obedience of faith. In other words, the article doesn't belong with faith there. It belongs with obedience. It's for the obedience of faith among all nations for his name. Now, of course, that's going to enter into Paul's argument a little later. The obedience of faith among all nations. And then over in verses 16 and 17, he says there, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that is, therein, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And as it were, that quotation from Habakkuk is like the anchor for this epistle that he wrote to the church in Rome. The just shall live by faith. Well, then he goes on to talk about how the wrath of God, he says, is revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness and so on, and against those who hold the truth or suppress the truth in unrighteousness. (coughs) Why? Because they knew the truth. In verse 21, it says, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, and neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations or their thoughts, their reasonings, and their foolish heart. Their undiscerning heart was darkened. And notice where it took place. He says they were vain in their thoughts or their reasonings, and their undiscerning heart was darkened now that we find is going to be somewhat of a key theme for Paul we don't often recognize it or notice it that way in here in Romans but such it is but in view of that darkened heart he says they were professing themselves to be wise and they became fools and what did they do when their heart was darkened what all darkened hearts do they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things and so God he says there in verse 24 gave them up to uncleanness and he gave them up in verse 26 to vile affections and in verse 28 he gave them over to a reprobate mind the King James says but it's to a disapproved mind or an unapproved mind matter of fact he says in verse 31 they were without understanding covenant breakers Without natu- by the way that had to be a Jew to be a covenant breaker Without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, this is the end of this whole list of sins and things that they had done, who knowing, and that's epignosis, they knowing fully well, in other words, the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They took pleasure in such... And so then he moves on to discuss this thing about the Jew in chapter 2, saying, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. In other words, they were standing on a certain ground, thinking that they had certain privileges, and we're looking down or condemning others, and Paul's simply bringing them back to reality, saying, You're in the same boat, fella, <laughs> to put it in our language or in the vernacular. In other words, there's no difference. And he's really telling them, and he does mention it later on. Um, Oh, I forget where it was. In verse 11 of chapter 2, he says there, there is no respect of persons with God. And so in looking at that, of course, remembering now, he's writing to a Gentile church in Rome. But he's discussing this whole issue of Jew and Gentile and their standing before God. And just simply reminding them that on a certain level, there's no difference between them. They're on the same ground. And he tells them then back in coming down in verse 5, he says of chapter 2, After thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. In other words, there is coming a day. We haven't seen it for almost 6,000 years now. And so men think that nothing's going to happen. But there is a day coming. And it's just as sure as today is here, that that day is coming. When he is going to judge every man and it's going to be according to his deeds. But notice what he says then in verse 7. Regarding those deeds, he says, To them who by patient continuance in well-doing Patient continuance in well-doing Seek for glory and honor and immortality or incorruption He will give eternal life or age-lasting life Age-abiding life, messianic life, kingdom life But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, he says, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath for them, he says. In other words, if you go back to verse 6, you see that word render. Who will render, or some translate that, who will give away to every man according to his deeds. So that's the thing that's governing this discussion here. He's giving away. And to the ones who seek for honor and glory and incorruptibility or incorruption, in he's going to give messianic life, kingdom life, eternal life, age-lasting life. But to them that are contentious, that are obey unrighteousness and so on, they're, what's he going to give to them? Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish in verse 9. Upon every soul of man that does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But, glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good. He's going to give glory, honor, and peace to the Jew first, and to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. Now that really tells us in the day of judgment what it's going to be like. Because as we've looked at that before, when we've we've, we've seen this expression that God is no respecter of persons, we saw that it means God doesn't regard the face. That's what the little expression is. And it simply means that he doesn't regard anybody by who they are. It's like you and I would do or have a tendency to do. We see someone walk in the room or come into a meeting or such, and we tend to have respect or regard because we recognize, oh, that's so-and-so. And then we have a tendency maybe to overlook some things, whereas in One situation, we might, you know, deal with somebody in a different way. But then when we're in a certain group, that same person walks in, then we deal with them in a different way. All because we take regard to the face. We have respect, in other words, to the face. And so what he's telling us here, though, is, is that in that day, God will have no respect of any person, no matter who they are. In other words, God's judgment is just. That's the bottom line. He treats us all alike. And this becomes important in Paul's argument when he goes on here. Because he says, as many as have sinned, in verse 12, without the law, shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by it. By the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. That, he says, is what makes the difference. The, the, the one who is the doer of the law, that is, is obedient, shall be declared righteous in the sight of God, not the one who just sits there and hears and then does not respond or react to God's good news. He tells us there that the Gentiles, in verse 14, which have not the law, when they, when they do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So in other words, when they do not know what the law says about how we should conduct ourselves before the Lord, and yet by nature they do it anyway, he said that, that's, that, that's a law to itself. They've done what they needed to do. They were obedient to it. And it shows, verse 15, the work of the law written in their hearts. And we said we would come back to this word, heart, and we're going to see this several times over the next whole bunch of verses here. This law, written in their hearts and their conscience, also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So these with this law written in their hearts who have in their conscience the ability to discern right and wrong, and that's what the word conscience really is referring to here. It's a knowing it's a co-knowledge. It's a knowing right and wrong. It's having a knowledge with. And so in that day, then in verse 16, when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, this he says is what's going to be revealed. That those who did not have the law, yet did the things that the law speaks of, are going to be shown to be those who God is going to declare as just or righteous. So then he returns back in verse 17 down to the Jew again then. So he says, behold, you're called a Jew and you rest in the law and you make your boast of God and so on. You know his will. And he goes on and lists several things in this chapter about all the things that the Jew had as a favor or as an advantage to him. He says down in verse 23, he says, You make thy boast of the law. Through breaking the law dishonorst thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. And then verse 25, 4, he says, circumcision verily profits if you keep the law. And, of course, what he's trying to point out then is, is that just because you are circumcised and you call yourself a Jew, he says, has nothing to do with anything if you're a lawbreaker it only avails you profit if you actually keep the law your circumcision he says is made uncircumcision well who was the uncircumcision well that was the gentile the pagan so the distinction then was is that for a jew if he was circumcised That was his identification with Jehovah and the nation of Israel, but it availed him of no profit or gain if he wasn't obedient to the law. He was just like anybody else upon the earth during that time because everybody else was a Gentile. But then he goes on to say, therefore, if the uncircumcision, now he's using... This word in a, to identify, and by he uses the word circumcision and uncircumcision here in three different ways, at least three, maybe four. He, he uses it of the physical right of circumcision, according to the flesh, and referring to the Jew. Then he says the uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, now he's using this word to refer to a Gentile. And if he keeps the law, shall not his uncircumcision, referring again to the fact that he was physically uncircumcised, be counted for circumcision, as if he really was circumcised, like a Jew was. And the whole thing that Paul's trying to nail down here and point to is the physical circumcision meant nothing in that regard. It all had to do with his heart. Thing, it, in other words, it, the issue with God revolved around the heart. Where was he? Where are we in regard to our relationship with the Lord and our heart? Verse 27, he says, Shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. In other words, again, the uncircumcised, the Gentile, who has the heart for God's word and obeys from the heart the law, will they not in that day judge you who are circumcised, who are, who are claiming all these benefits of being circumcised according to the flesh? Well, then Paul nails it all down right here in verse 28. He says, A Jew is not a Jew. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, in the heart. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. In other words, to speak to that thing about in the letter. You see, they were obedient in the letter, in their circumcision, and they had their praise of men. But the praise of God comes from the one who is circumcised in heart and in spirit. He's talking about, as we talked about um, somewhat earlier in discussing the issue of the slave, the one who was completely and wholly devoted to his master as opposed to the one who was just merely outwardly obedient. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And, of course, we know the setting here. The new generation is now preparing to enter into the land of promise. They're there at the river's edge of the Jordan, about ready to cross over. Moses, knowing that he cannot go, is giving his final words of instruction. And in verse 15... He says only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked. Now, of course, why is he admonishing them regarding this? Well, we know their previous generation had all just wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they were all dead save Moses at this point. And they had lost their lives, lost their privilege of being able to enter in to the promised land and seize God's promise that he had promised to give them. And so they lost it. And it all had to do, not because they were outwardly disobedient here to the law, but because their hearts were not right. And they failed. Of course, we find over in, uh, well, look to um, turn back just to, I turn back a page. If you look back at chapter 9 and verse 4, you'll see how Moses speaks to this issue of the heart again. In verse 4, he says, speak not thou in thine heart. After that, the Lord thy God hath has cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. In other words, they weren't able to boast or take uh, rest in the thought that it was their own righteousness that brought about God saying, Oh, okay, I'll bring you on into the land. No, he said it was because of the wickedness of these nations that I'm going to drive them out. In essence, it has nothing to do with you. And he goes on in verse 5. Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart dost thou go in to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was why God was going to bring them into the land and drive these nations out and allow them to settle in peace there and enjoy the blessings and favor of God. It was all surrounding their heart. So coming back now to Romans chapter, well, we're going to begin in chapter three. So we are moving kind of fast through here, but I'm trying to, get the gist and flow of thought that Paul is trying to drive home to these believers in Rome. So in verse 3, chapter 3 rather, verse 1, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way. So there, there were some advantages. Chiefly, he says, that because of them, uh, that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So they had God's word committed to them. But look, notice in verse 3 how he turns real quickly. He says, for what if some did not believe? Now, if you'll look at some other translations, you'll say, see that literally there, for what if some were without faith? And notice what he says there. Some. He didn't say all of Israel was without faith. But what, he says, if some did not have or were without faith, shall their unbelief or their lack of faith make the faith of God without effect? So it was the fact that they didn't believe God's word, did it render it invalid? Did it make it of no effect? And he says, God forbid, in verse 4, no way that it could do that. And, of course, we, we remember there's another point there. Turn over to 2 Timothy that we'll make concerning that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and to a familiar passage. In 2 Timothy 2... Paul's encouraging Timothy regarding faithfulness to the Lord. And he gives several examples here about a soldier and a husbandman and an an athlete and so on. And he says in, in verse 11, he says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer or endure... We shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, that is, or as some would render it, if we are faithless, if we are without faith, the same thing Paul was saying in Romans 3 regarding the Jew, after they had received these promises and the oracles of God, if we are without faith, yet, he abides faithful. He cannot, that is God, he cannot deny himself. So in other words, our, our lack of faith does not render God's faithfulness as nothing or of no effect, as Paul says back in chapter 3. He's saying the same thing here. And by the way, some would render that phrase back in in Romans 3 in verse 4, or 3 rather. He says, shall their lack of faith make the faithfulness of God of no effect or without any effect? And all Paul's trying to say here is that, you know, we've got problems. We don't always remain faithful. We are not always steadfast. But that's not going to change God's faithfulness. He does not react in that way. Will he react with the the lack of faith when he judges according to deeds? Indeed, he will. But it won't change his faithfulness with regard to his promises. And so then he goes on to say in verse 4, God forbid... Yea, let God be true, and every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, or thy words, it's the word logos there, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now that's an interesting verse. He's quoting from Psalm 51, so let's take a little journey back there for a moment. Psalm 51 And if you know that psalm, you know exactly what it's all about. The heading of the psalm tells us what's going on. This is David confessing his sin after having been confronted by Nathan the prophet. The superscript of that psalm says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. So what we're looking at here is the king of Israel. He'd committed a crime, sinned against the Lord. He had done nothing about it until Nathan, the prophet, confronted him. And so he's recounting this then a little bit. And he's making his plea before the Lord. And I think it's really important that we take note of what David is doing here. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Now, you'll notice that David is making an appeal to God on the basis of not the law, but his loving kindness and his tender mercies. I think it's, yeah, we're in the same, just, well, for me, I turned the page over. Look at verses, uh, or just verse 17, Well, verse 16 too. He says in verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are... Now David was a Jew. He knew what the law said prescribing the sacrifices that they were to bring. For every sin. They were all, all been laid out for them. But yet when it came to David he makes this appeal on the basis of God's covenant faithfulness in appealing to his loving kindness and his tender mercies. And so he says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. As far as we know, there's nothing said about David going down to the tabernacle to offer a sacrifice but he simply made his plea on that basis turn back to Hosea chapter 2 And regarding Israel, you know, it's, he's, as the, all the prophets do, are are speaking to Israel concerning her sins and her rebellion and her refusal to honor the Lord and obey him. But, but then he gives these promises that what he's going to do in the future. Look at verse 14. He says, therefore, behold, I will allure her, speaking of Israel, and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And, and the words literally there are, I'll speak to her heart, to Israel's heart. And if you'll look down at verse 19, he says, and I will betroth thee unto me for the age. I will betroth thee unto me. In righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. You'll see that the, the covenant basis here in God's dealings is in tender mercies and loving kindness. And David's appeal back here in in Psalm 51, when he was appealing to the Lord concerning his sin, it was on the basis of God's loving kindness and his tender mercies. So then in verse 2, he proceeds on. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? Now watch this phrase. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now this is that verse that he was, Paul was quoting back in chapter 3 regarding the, the, the position or the condition of the Jew. God forbid, let, every, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. What is Paul trying to say here? Simply that men should believe God with their heart. And if they do not believe, if they acknowledge his word, then all that does is make God true and every man a liar. You know, and you might wonder, when did these things take place? Where did that occur, that these things were said? Well, I want to just give you one this morning, but it's one that we know well. Turn back to Isaiah. Or if you're from the islands, you would say, Isaiah. <laughs> so you turn to Isaiah. Isaiah. Chapter 53. (coughs) In the first verse, one we're familiar with. Had the message gone out? It certainly had. But Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? Who has believed our word, our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? But of course, they didn't believe. And that was the point. They were without faith. Not all, he says. Some didn't. Now back in chapter 3 of Romans. So he goes on then to say, If our then, that, that being the case then, and if God is justified or seen to be righteous in the things that he has said and declared unto us, and as it says there in Psalm 51, he's clear. Here it says He's over, he has overcome when thou art judged. In other words, that God is going to be, when, when we're judged and the final indictment is rendered in other words the it's meted out god is going to be found to be right that's all he's really trying to say there concerning our unrighteousness but notice then what he's he's looking ahead and he's anticipating what someone might say so he says but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of god what shall we say that is if our unrighteousness establishes or it proves or shows that God is righteous well you can almost anticipate what somebody's going to say well then we should just go out and sin and do all kinds of things because then we'll be showing the righteousness of God wouldn't that be a good thing and of course Paul says no way he says is God unrighteous who takes vengeance and he says I speak as a man God forbid (laughs) <laughs> no, we should not look at it this way, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And interestingly enough, he doesn't go on to explain that to us. But he says, and not rather as we are be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. In other words, Paul's just telling us there, no, I'm not saying that at all. And you remember that back in, if we moved ahead to Romans chapter 6, he deals with that issue again. He says in, and I, you don't have, well, I will turn there. And." Where's the verse I'm looking for? You've got to find it real quick for me here. Is it verse Oh, yeah, verse 1. I'm looking all over the rest of the passage here. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall such ones as we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, this, this was a, a big misunderstanding, a big argument. We shouldn't be, and it's an enigma, quite frankly. And I think it all has to do with God's purpose and plan when he created man to allow sin. And it had to be in order that he might show forth his own righteousness or justice in dealing with men, but also his own glory, that he might be glorified. And so though we, Paul doesn't really explain it for us there, And so, though we may not understand it, that's the fact. And the fact is that though our sin may manifest the glory of God, Paul says, but that doesn't mean you go out and sin then and do more of it. It should drive you in the opposite direction to do less and to live for the Lord. So, consequently then, jumping over to verse uh, 21 He says, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The point being there that it all Comes by faith. So look over to verse 28 then. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without or apart from the deeds or the works of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only then? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, he says, of the Gentiles also. Watch verse 30, how he returns then to this issue about circumcision. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And so you haven't nullified the law. In other words, he made the argument, a pretty strong one, that a Jew is justified with a circumcised heart, had nothing to do with the works of the law or the deeds of the law. So then it's like, well, let's just get rid of it then. We don't even need the law. Paul says, no, no, we establish the law because the law maintains those principles by which we please God if we're obedient to them. And, of course, then he goes on to talk about Abraham as an example. He talks about David as an example of those who, by faith, believe God. We know well with Abraham what the Scripture says. It was counted unto him for righteousness. This was before he was circumcised. Paul makes that argument strong. But I want us to look in verse 6. Regarding David, he says, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, that is Psalm 31. So we're going to take a brief sachet back to Psalm 31, and this is where we'll close. Psalm 32. Sorry about that. Jerry knew. Yep. Psalm 32. And in verse 1, here are those same verses that Paul just quoted. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. With David, again, it all had to do with his understanding And his relationship with the Lord. That it had his confession of sin. That God through apart from anything in obedience to the law. If his heart was right before the Lord. That is and, and it was in the sense that he confessed his sin. God forgave. And God counts that one. As righteous in his sight. And he goes on through the rest of this psalm to admonish Israel. You need to do the same thing. You need to forsake your rebellion and and turn unto the Lord. And he will fulfill his promises. Back there in chapter 2 of Romans where we began, then we sum it all up by simply saying, In verse 5, he said they had a hard and impenitent heart. But to them, in verse 7, who by patient continuance, patient, long, enduring, never giving up, patient endurance, or continuance, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will render or he will give eternal life, age-abiding life. That promised coming kingdom life will be long to that one. But it takes continuance. We would simply say today, staying by the stuff. Or as they used to say several years ago, just keep on trucking. Well, those seem like light phrases You know, and they don't really apply in such a sacred context. But yet the truth remains the same. We just have to keep on keeping on, never giving up, never quitting, never saying no, never saying I'm too tired, I can't do it. But just keep on believing what God promised he will actually fulfill. And he will do it. And he's going to do it for me if I stay faithful. I'm going to actually see it happen one day. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that you have given us such sure promises from your word. And we thank you for the example of Abraham and David that you've given us here in the book of Romans to teach us and to help us to know and understand and and come back to a very basic thing in the Christian life, that it's a long, hard road we follow, that it takes patience and endurance, steadfastness, never giving up and not quitting. And, Lord, we thank you that you were long in your patience with us and you endured with us and brought us to the place of truth, to a proper understanding of what you've promised to give us. Lord, touch our hearts today in this regard. Do what needs to be done that our hearts might be tender, open, responsive to your spirit. And then that we would just leave rejoicing in the goodness of god and the faithfulness of god in whose name we pray amen and we do want to give an opportunity for anyone that would like to come forward today if there's a need or necessity or you just desire to come worship the lord here we want to give you an opportunity to do that brother bob